This is Real Talk with Ben Tompkins, presented by Four Roses. I'm never going to apologize for the long intros like that. You know, you just you have a drop like that. I'm never going to apologize for something like that. You know why? You know why? Because that's how we set the tone for the episode that we're going to have. That's how we set the tone for just the the life that we're going to live right there in that drop. I mean, that's what it's all about, man. That's what it's all about. I am Ben Tompkins. This is Real Talk. We are presented by Four Roses Bourbon. I love music. I love being able to play DJ when I do these podcasts. And I love the guest that I've got on the show today. My guest today is Gustavo Rossetti. And Gustavo is the CEO of a company called Liberationist. It's a consultancy firm based in Chicago that helps teams implement positive changes and upgrades mindsets and ways of working to build agile, collaborative, and adaptive teams. His philosophy? It's simple. Our mindsets create two effects on us. They either limit or liberate our potential. His goal is to liberate people from what's holding them back. He has facilitated hundreds of workshops in the U.S., Europe, and Latin America, and consulted with some of the biggest companies in the world, including Verizon, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, 20th Century Fox, General Motors, and Bank of America. He is the author of three books, all available on Amazon, and the link for those books is in the show notes, okay? But the books are titled Stretch for Change, Stretch Your Mind, and Stretch Your Team. And they're all aimed at upgrading our mindset and behaviors to train ourselves to welcome change, to challenge our perspective, and succeed despite uncertain and unpredictable times. You can follow his work on Medium, where he is a regular contributor, or on Twitter at Gus Rossetti. That's two Zs and two Ts. And he joins the show to discuss perfectionism and overcoming some of those self-inhibiting habits. Have anybody ever dealt with that? I certainly have. Uh, how to develop healthy mindsets, avoiding burnout, and some of the things that you can do when you eventually reach that, I can't take it anymore feeling, right? He teaches us about the yes and mindset and what its application looks and sounds like, plus a ton of good nuggets and stories from his work with different clients. I am extremely excited for this one. And, and to be honest, there, you know, there's a lot of exciting things that are happening around here, as a matter of fact. So before we jump into my conversation with Gustavo, I want to share some of these things that I'm excited about and where we're at with everything. So I mentioned on the last podcast that I was thinking about going to a two-podcast format per week um, or a two-podcast-per-week format. And what I'd like to do is... On me, I'm still gonna work on the schedule, and and next week here's what we're gonna do. Okay, Tuesday will be Uber stories from the last week, the previous week, and also some takes on the college football season, where things are at with that, and that'll be one podcast of the week, right? Uber stories, some sports takes, boom, and then the other podcast in the weeks will be the interviews that I'm doing. And I think that's how I'd like to split it up because, you know, it's just two totally different vibes sometimes with the Uber stories that I'm telling and the guests that I'm bringing on. So I I think it's, and and I look at the numbers to see, you know, there's a lot of people that are listening to the interviews, so thank you for that. But the Uber stories episodes still, uh, even the ones from a few weeks ago, are the ones that people are mostly listening to and enjoying. So uh, I'm going to continue to do both. I'm going to 
amp this up a little bit and start doing two per week and just kind of play with the with the schedule of that. You know, I, I'm thinking Tuesday, Thursday, but uh, we'll see as as we kind of continue to work through um, and and grow. Okay, now the next couple of guests moving forward. Next week is a guy named Matt Plummer, and Matt is the CEO of a company called Zarvana. He's a productivity coach, and he helps teams. He, you know, a lot of what we talk about with Matt is is going to build off probably a lot of the things that Gustavo and I spend some time here talking about, um, but Matt's going to be an awesome guest, and I'm really excited to have him on. And then two weeks from now, uh, guy, actually one of my neighbors, okay, Tim Schladand. And Tim is a licensed clinical social worker and he's a licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor. And he works with Daring Way and works with people, about, you know, to, to help with their addictions. And so I'm going to spend some time talking with Tim. We'll get him down in the studio and talk about addiction and we're going to go probably a lot of really tough challenging places with that one and and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, That'll be in a couple weeks. That'll take us to the end of August and from there I'm just going to continue to get on interesting guests that are either have a, an interesting story or that can help and teach and elevate, and that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, right? Just getting real talk from some of the realest talkers in our country and in, in, the, in the world eventually, you know, once we continue to grow outside of the walls of America, right? <laughs> levels. There's levels to this, okay? Uh, but yeah, Uber Stories, Matt Plummer next week, and that's kind of what we're looking like moving through the next few weeks. Now, uh, I do have an announcement to make. Okay, very excited about this. A new sponsor to join the show. A couple of guys that I went to high school with have started a company and have been running this company. Um, it's called Slimzy. And Slimzy is a company that designs hard and soft koozies for bottles and for thinner bottles. That's why they're slim, right? Slimmer bottles. Think White Claws, Truly, stuff like that. So if you have, you're crushing some uh, some Bud Lights, stick one of these Slimsies on there, either the hard case or the soft case, they're awesome koozies. And then like, you know, a big trend obviously with the spiked seltzers and the Trulies and the White Claws and things like that, it's a slimmer bottle. So you need a slimmer koozie. You know, you can't just reach up in the cabinet and grab one of those old 1990s koozies that you've got, even though they're nostalgic and even though it's really cool, right? If you're drinking, you know, some White Claws, then that might not fit. So you need a product that will solve that solve that problem for you, right? That's Slimzy. That's my boys over at Slimzy. And what they're going to do is give us a set number of these koozies, which will then be uh, incentive for people and uh, and rewards for, for listening to the show, but then also like, you know, whatever it is, um, if I ask you guys to retweet this or to share this or to leave a, a rating and a review, right, which you should also already have been doing, but you know, sometimes it just takes a little bit of incentive. And so that's where they come in. They're joining the show. They're going to be a sponsor. And I'm really excited about our partnership because, you know, look, couple of young guys just trying to make a buck in the world, right? Make a difference, make a product that people are going to use and that uh, people are going to continue to use. And I, I personally have um, probably four or five of these things laying around my house just because when my friends and when my brother's friends get over, they bring the Slimzies. It's, it's, it's cool. And we've really got a, a great 
opportunity here to grow together because we're both going to help each other out. I'm going to plug them as much and try to get as many of you listeners to use these Slimsies and to go to their website and buy them. And hopefully I'll be able to use those to continue to grow the show. And we're going to be doing some promotional giveaways moving forward and they have joined the show as a new sponsor. And so I'm very excited about that. So please, everybody, let's welcome Slimzy. Uh, if you go to Slimzy.com, you can see uh, the, the, the design and the products and you can kind of get a feel for what these guys are doing. So I encourage you to do that. And I encourage you to keep listening because eventually we're going to have some giveaways and you will have the chance to win a couple of these things. And then people will be like, damn, what are those? Where'd you get them? Like, I need something for that, for my for my claws or for my beers. And I'm like, yeah, the plug over here. Okay, so just be patient. That's coming soon. Uh uh, another reminder just to please continue to subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, speaking of reviews, I got to show you and, and I got to read this review for you because it came from a writer uh, this past week and it, it it's just like little things like this. I, I live for the little stuff like this, okay? Had a really good conversation with a guy and later on when I'm looking at the app and I'm, I'm reviewing kind of like, you know, drive time stats and things like that, ratings and making sure you, there's a lot of different little percentages and stuff you got to pay attention to. But I see this comment and what a comment it is. What a thing to hear. His, his, his comment was, Benjamin is the best Uber driver I have had this far. He is the most knowledgeable Uberer I rode with. He has the best luxurious damn car I have ever ridden in. I felt like President Trump. I kept looking for Melania. Benjamin knows more about history than my history professor. Priceless. Very pleasant experience with him. I have already tipped them. <laughs> I mean, I see this and I'm just like, yes, yes. Like, that is awesome to hear and awesome to read. And I thank you, my friend, okay? I enjoyed our experience as well. And when I get little things like this, either on the Uber app or from my listeners who are listening to the show and subscribing and rating and, and leaving me reviews. You know, I see that stuff on Apple Podcasts and it, it makes my fucking day, man. It really does. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Please continue to subscribe, rate, and leave me some positive reviews like my friend there did. <sighs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really just kind of enjoying where we're at right now in life, right? When I started this and I dropped the allow me to reintroduce myself, I, I made some pretty big um, like announcements, right? And I was like, guys, I've been really depressed the last couple of months. I'm, I've, I'm, you know, I'm bipolar. I'm struggling with this. The quarantine sucks. I've been binge eating like a madman. I've picked up all this weight. My life is just crumbling, right? Everything is bad. <laughs> um but man, what a difference a couple months makes. What a difference a couple months makes when you just commit yourself to getting serious about your goals and being honest with yourself about where you're at in the pursuit of those goals. And you just remain consistent and you focus on the process. And then that's really what I've been doing the last, you know, since since the beginning of June, since the beginning of June. And over time, what happens is you build up that momentum and then it begins to just like compound interest, continue to rise and build and rise and build to the point where you're rolling. Like uh, I look back now and we're getting close to the middle of the month of August and we're rolling and we're just going to keep it rolling because I got a lot of things that I am determined to achieve and nothing's going to slow me down at this point. The only thing that can slow myself... the, the <laughs> The only thing that can slow me down is myself, and I refuse to let that happen. I, I'm just, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going back. And 
what what has helped me in 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 doing a lot of that was a opening up because that was you know some pretty hard things to open up about right uh, but b just doing things that I enjoy doing and doing things simply because they bring me happiness. Uh, so what does that look like for me? Well, recently I got signed up with Big Brothers Big Sisters. I have been a mentor to many people and and still continue to advise and counsel people free of charge. I know, crazy, right? But um, <laughs> all, 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 over, all over the world, honestly. And when I have been in positions where, like at the University of Kentucky, I was able to mentor... Uh, not not necessarily mentor as much, but tutor in that sense. Uh, some of the student athletes there at the University of Kentucky, and I did it through the Cats program, and it was great. And I enjoyed working with student athletes, and we would talk about their coursework. But you know, a lot of times we just, hey, how's you know, how is everything? How are you balancing and managing, and and just kind of talk about stuff like that. And even when I was in high school. We had a program called Mustang Mentors at North Oldham where they would take some of the juniors and the seniors and they would walk them over to the middle school and then you would have some time to spend with classes uh, you know, with uh, like, I think they were eighth graders at the time. I think they were eighth graders at the time, but I know it was with the with the middle school kids. And I've always loved doing that. I've always loved working some of the, you know, with my uncle doing the Trinity baseball camps and working with those kids. Like, I enjoy doing that. And Big Brothers Big Sisters is something that I've always thought about. And it's always one of those things where I'm like, yeah, if I had the time to do it, I would do it. You know, because I, if, if I can, <laughs> you know, the, those years between like, really 11 and 14, you know, maybe 10 and 15, 10's kind of young, but like 11 and 14, 15, like you're very young and you're developing and you're starting to like be, be very familiar with adult themes and realities of life. Um, and you're entering those kind of preteen years, those adolescent years. And that's a really important time for a kid, you know, because what happens then and what happens in your development as, as a young adult um, can certainly have an outcome in the way that you behave for the rest of your life. And I always, I, I'm the oldest in my family. I'm the oldest. Um, I have brothers and I have sisters and I have stepbrothers. And I always wished when my parents got divorced and when I was a kid that I had an older brother or, or, or even an older sister, but like an older sibling. And that's why a lot of times I've sought out and been so active in seeking out mentor-mentee relationships with coaches, with older guys, with anybody, anybody. And I, I've, 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 de- I've developed and benefited from that, and I want to be that for somebody else. And I'm like, dude, I got all this time in the world right now. I got time. And how do I want to use that time? I want to volunteer and I want to get involved with big brothers and big sisters. So I have done the, like they did a webinar and then the um, actual Zoom conference call was about two and a half hours where they're kind of like vetting you and feeling you out. They go through a background process and background check and, and, you know, talk to your references and everything like that. And then like four to six uh, weeks, I believe, it could possibly take for you to have been matched up with a kid, right? And so I, I requested, you know, they're going to put me with a guy. They're going to put me with a boy. And I've requested that it's somebody that is athletic because that's 
going to be the most easily, uh, I guess I'm, I'm going to be able to most easily relate to a kid who's playing some kind of sport. It could be soccer. I don't care. It could be baseball, badminton, like whatever. But let's just be able to, you know, when we spend time together, a couple times a month, we'll do something active. We'll go down the waterfront and we'll throw the football or we'll kick the soccer ball or, you know, and, and, and like, yeah, that's what I prefer. But I'm going to foster whatever this kid's interests are. So if it's drama club, if it's playing an instrument, if it's whatever, like pick your thing and let's do let's let's spend some time doing that. And and you feeling like, hey, this is cool. I have somebody who's taking an interest in me doing something that interests me. That's a cool thing. That's a positive thing. That's a really strong thing. So I'm really excited about that. And I'll continue to update um, and, and kind of provide some updates as uh, as that kind of progresses. Because like I, I haven't been matched yet. It, it could take a month or a month and a half. So we're just going to kind of wait and see. But um, I'm really excited about that. Also, just, hey, listen, doing things on the weekends that isn't binge drinking. That is an awesome thing, okay? Which is, it's it's really nice. So meeting up with a friend down on Waterfront to throw a football on a Friday night instead of, you know, I don't know, spending it uh, in, in, in any other kind of a way that I would maybe want to or be tempted to spend a Friday night, right? Um, doing something active. Going to CrossFit on Saturday mornings at my gym. Uh, I've been planning every meal and tracking it with my fitness pal. Like I've really gotten organized over the last couple months, and I'm I'm excited about it because things are finally like kind of the, the fog is lifted, right? And I'm in a much better place now in August than I was um, at the beginning of June because May was just oh my god, May was awful. May was awful. Okay, so uh, I'm doing these things. I've also oh like uh, I designated so because I'm um, planning out all these meals during the week, I have designated. Designated Sundays as my day to do an Italian dinner, um, like uh, family style, right? And pick, you know, a, a select crew to come over, eat some pasta, have a glass of wine, and huddle up before the beginning of another week. Give thanks and, and put some prayers up and huddle up with the team and then get ready to kill it the next week, right? Just kind of doing these things. And eventually, you know, something else that I've always really wanted to do and, and think would be really cool is starting some kind of a seven-on-seven tournament that's like once a year, I host it, have it be mainly for like younger kids, right? But something to get people out and together and it's community building and something that people look forward to. I, I mean, I love playing seven-on-seven football, uh, flag football. And so if I can put together some kind of a tournament and the city comes out for it, that'd be, that'd be dope. That'd be so dope, and I really want to do that. So before before I, you know, I I, I don't know. Sometime in the next two years, uh, I'm really gonna try to make that happen. Okay, these are all things that I want to do or have wanted to do for a long time, and I'm finally doing these things for myself because they make me happy and I enjoy doing them. I'm also trying. <laughs> I was, you know, sitting with a friend of mine. Um, and we were sitting on his back porch and having a glass of bourbon and we were talking and I said, you know, I'm, I'm also trying something out called saying no, right? Saying no to things, to people, to myself, but mainly just to things that I don't want to do that either I'm not willing to make the time for it or it's just not something I'm interested in doing. And I got to tell you, it feels great doing what I want to do 
and saying no to the things that I don't want to do. And not wasting anybody's time with the, oh yeah, sounds good, hit me up, let me know. Like, none of that fake shit, okay? No thank you. I don't owe you an explanation beyond that. If I want to do it, I'll commit. And if it's not something I want to do, for whatever reason, that answer, my answer at this time, is just no. And no hard feelings, it's just no. I don't, I'm not going to do that. But it's like with the Uber thing, I do it because it's something I enjoy doing and, and connecting with people makes me really happy. And I, I've talked about this before where I had to kind of get over this mental hurdle of, uh, do I want to be a driver? Like, how are people going to perceive me? You know, like people have like a low perception of Uber drivers, right? Because they don't make many Uber drivers like me, let me tell you, right? But like people have that kind of like a uh, like service industry type perception. And I'm like, I struggle with that at the beginning to, to fully lean in and, and just kind of commit to this and, and run with it, right? But I had something happen recently. And, and this is great because it just shows you the duality of my personality based on your experience with me, right? Most of the people I come across like me, we connect and generally think of me in a very positive light. You know, we share good conversation. They get most of my really great qualities as a friend or just a human being. But then there's this other group of people that I, I meet and they would totally describe me based on, you know, their one interaction with me differently, just totally differently. And this ties into a moment that I had recently that didn't make me question what I'm doing, but more so was an affirmation that I'm, I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. So I'll tell the story and then we'll jump into Gustavo and I, um, our conversation. But uh, <laughs> there was a guy who sped past me in my own neighborhood. And I, I live in a condo, condo kind of neighborhood. And there's speed bumps that go along the main strip, right? When you're driving in and as you go back. And most of the time, when I come to this stop sign at the end of my street and I turn right onto the main one, there is a speed bump that's to the left down the street a little bit. And when I see a car that's approaching that speed bump, I know if they slow down, then I don't have to wait on them at my stop sign because I can continue moving on before they're able to get over the speed hump and then speed back up and be on me, right? So I have time. And so I never, I never stop you know, for somebody going over that speed bump, because it's just like, I, I have plenty of time to get out, you know, and get out in front of them and get on with wherever I'm going. But th recently there was a guy who was driving a big truck. Okay. Lives in the neighborhood and is driving over the speed bump. I'm coming up to the stop sign and approaching it. And I'm not going to lie. Like I kind of California rolled the stop sign you know, a little bit. It's it's right there. There's never any traffic. It's in my, it's it's 100 feet away from my house, if that. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like come up to this, pause, make sure I'm good and roll, right? And so we are both kind of at those points, him at the speed bump, me at the stop sign. And I continue on. And this guy didn't really slow down the way that other people do, presumably because he was in a big truck and he's got the speed hump and it's just like he doesn't have to worry about that the same way that, I don't know, a Honda Civic would or a Cadillac or something like that. Low profile car. Are you with me? So he goes over the speed bump and then he gets right up on my ass and 
I'm in the neighborhood, man. I'm going like, I think the, the thing is like 20 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour, if that, right? So I'm going slow, but also I'm a little, uh, you know, disturbed that this guy would be so aggressive and fly up on me the way that he did. And he's upset that he feels like I cut him off and I, and I clearly didn't, but whatever. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, okay? And he comes up behind me. Well, we approach another speed bump on our way out of the neighborhood, and I go slow over it like you're supposed to do, right? And this guy felt that I was going slow on purpose. So he flies around me in the neighborhood and finishes up and, and, and like drives past, right? And so I'm like, hmm, in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood. That's interesting. So I followed him, <laughs> okay? He, he was turning left. And I knew that there was only, you know, they're like on 42, if you continue going down 42, not up towards Gene Snyder, but if you continue going down 42, and there's only like a couple, like a handful of places that this guy could possibly be going short of going to somebody's house. So I'm like, let's just see where this is going, right? So I follow him. I go left out of the neighborhood, and he turns into where they have the Kroger and the Walgreens and everything on Timber Ridge Drive. And I see him circling around to the little restaurants that are over there by Gustavo's. And so I drive up, and he's putting his truck in reverse, and he has his windows rolled down. And he is looking right at me, and I'm looking right at him, and I'm waiting for him to park, okay? And he's got his windows down, and I roll mine down, and he parks, and now we're face-to-face, you know, his, his truck as he's backed into the spot, and me in the middle of uh, the parking lot, kind of like in the lane, looking at him, right? And I say, man, you, you must really be in a rush. You must really be in a rush. You in a rush? And the guy is like, well, you pulled out in front of me, and then you were going slow on purpose. And I, you know, he was trying to argue about that, and I said, listen, listen, listen. I'm going to let this go, but you don't want problems with me, my friend. I will ruin your day real quick. Drive better in the neighborhood. And we jawed back and forth for a minute. I didn't cuss because I, I didn't want to give him that moral license to get up on a high horse. I feel like when, you know, people act so offended by foul language, like get over yourselves. It's just a word, right? And, but people, when you use foul language, they, they, they use that as kind of their outlet to feel validated, you know, and they, they get up on this kind of moral high ground. But I specifically didn't swear just because I didn't want to let this guy have any kind of a leverage situation like that, right? But but I, I needed, I felt that I needed to let this guy know, I'm calling you out. Act right or we've got a problem. And as I started to drive away, he said, see you, Uber. He thought he was getting in the last little word, right? And I said, see you, Boomer. And I waved and I smiled and I drove away laughing. And as I drove away, I, I thought about this for a second because I was having a reaction to him saying that as I drove off. And it really pissed me off for a second. Like, he was talking down to me, right? He thought he was getting one in on me, right? And I thought about it, and, 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 and then I was like, wait a second, though. Does that offend me? Like, should that offend me? I know he meant it in that way, but, but let's think about this. Let's think about this, Benny T. I love what I'm doing. 
I love talking to people and I love being a safety vessel for them, not just in in them confiding in me or, or talking about the things that we do, but also me getting them to their destination safely. It's all about the journey, right, my friends? It's all about the journey. So I love the fact that I can be of assistance in other people, getting them to where they need to go, helping them along their journey. That's what it's about. And that we can share a brief moment in passing. That's everything to me. Like, I'm, I'm making money. I'm building a, a thriving podcast, let's say, okay, about these interviews. And he can't take that from me. He's just one of these people that looks at Uber drivers the same people, the, 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 the same way that people look at waiters and see them as the help, you know, lesser thans. It's all about the label for some people. What's your title? How much do you make? What's your status? And there's a lot of people who do that, right? Uh, that see people through a lens of what can I learn from this person? Not what can I learn from this person? You get me? You following? So to do, and, and, and I think to do that is to fail to acknowledge that wisdom and good advice can come from anywhere. To simply dismiss somebody based on, oh, he's this, or oh, she's a this. What do they know? I'm better than them, right? What a lonely existence you live, my friend. Like, what a dim view you have of others. So, you know, if you want to hurl that to, at me as an insult, like, that's fine. But, but, but you know what? I thought about it, and I said, I refuse to take that personally or be offended by that because, A, I realize that he, this is just a weak, insecure person trying to shoot me down and, uh, and reaching for a name to call me so he feels better about himself as I drive away, right? See Uber, right? B, I love what I'm doing right now. And most importantly, C, he has no idea what my grind is like. He sees Uber and he sees second class. He doesn't see the hours that we put in on the road, the vibes we're given to the people, or the big picture of all of this as this podcast continues to grow. And I thought, why accept criticism from somebody like that? Why let a stranger affect how we feel or think about ourselves? I'm supposed to be bummed out because this dude says so? Fuck that. I, I'm, I'm not going to give that guy the power over me. This makes me happy the podcasts, and driving, and I know that my heart's in the right place. And the universe, my friends, has a funny way of rewarding us when we pursue what feels like our calling, right? Our true utilization of our gifts and our abilities, our strengths, done in a way that does right by others and empowers others. It might not always be your nine-to-five job, but the things that you do in your free time, volunteering, coaching, hosting a prayer group, starting a fundraiser, whatever it is, when you start to tap into those things and you're serving others in some sense, I believe that the universe has a way of sending us affirmations in many ways, little and big. These moments that come back to us and bring us a clarity that says, you are exactly where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You're on the right track, kid. And if you haven't found that yet, if you're listening to this and you haven't found that yet, it's not too late for you, my friend. It's there for you. You just need the patience to wait for the right moment and the courage to not be disappointed with what you encounter. And you know what? Over time, you build up enough of these things and you're taking care of yourself and you begin to build up some momentum over time. Consistency, repeated habits, small ones that can snowball into incredible outcomes. 
And that's what Gustavo and I spend a lot of time talking about here, is how powerful building up that kind of momentum can be and how to do that through minimum value changes, what he calls MVCs, and how these can be used to defeat perfectionism, something that derails so many of these good ideas or actions that that you might have, but hesitate to start because you've never done it before. What if you're not good at it at first? Or what will other people think of you? We let these things keep us from reaching our full potential. But if you can just push through these thoughts, that self-doubt, that little voice, that criticism, and overcome your own perfectionism just to start, the possibilities are endless, my friends. So hopefully, after listening to this, first of all, you enjoy it so much that you share it with somebody. You send it to somebody that you think would enjoy this, so you share it to your timeline. Okay, second of all, you enjoy it so much that you feel compelled to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and tell me what you liked about it, okay? Uh, But third of all, okay, and, and most importantly, hopefully, after listening to this, you gain some insight into yourself and think about some of these topics and your experiences with them. Hopefully, you can learn something new or find something that works for you. And if something that we talk about connects with just one of you on a deep level and it sticks with you, hopefully you'll let me know that it helped and you'll keep coming back for more. Thanks so much for listening. Happy to be here with you doing this. Without further ado, please welcome Gustavo Rossetti to the show. I'm joined now by Gustavo Rossetti. Gustavo, thank you so much for joining the show. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to talk about perfectionism and many other stuff in life. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's... I like surprises, I mean, in terms of questions, so (laughs) shoot. Good. I got some curveballs for you, all right? (laughs) Yeah. Let's see your bat speed. So, I came across your profile because I was looking into perfectionism. And I think that perfectionism is something that I certainly deal with. I think a lot of people deal with because I've talked um, before and I've read some of your articles before about people learning how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And I think a lot of times people are hesitant to start a task, whether it's starting a new job or a new blog or whatever they're going to start to do uh, because people are scared to suck at it at first and and get better over time. But it's like kind of a scary thing just to kind of be like, I have no idea what I'm doing and here I am. But And I think that deters people a lot of times from from starting that task, whatever it is. And I started to look into perfectionism and I started to look at experts in that field. And I came across your profile and I came across your books and I came across uh, Liberationist and I started reading some of the articles and I was like, you know what, this guy right here is somebody I got to have on the podcast. So it is a pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. And it's one of my favorite topics, so (laughs) I'm excited to. (laughs) Well, okay, let's start at the beginning. Um, You're not from the United States originally. Tell me about where you're from. Tell me about how you grew up and where you studied and how you got to where we're at now. Uh, Well, that's a long story. (laughs) I'm going to keep it short. Well, I'm originally from Argentina, uh, and i I mean, I developed most of my career there, and then I moved to the States. I've been in Puerto Rico two years. I've been in, in New York five years, then LA, and, and now I've been in Chicago for over seven years. 
So I know a lot about the states. Yeah. <laughs> because I live in the West Coast, East Coast, Midwest, so I have a, a nice gist of everything. No, uh, my career started in marketing uh, strategy, no? and I had two passions. One of them was about transforming people's behavior, and there is psychology that come together. So that's the things that I studied. No? So marketing, communications, and also social psychology, a little bit of psychoanalysis, whatever. But then I think that the most important thing and how I developed my career is by doing, not talking about perfectionism. So, for example, one of my hobbies is uh, cooking, no? and uh, and I learned to cook uh, food from all over the places. So I can cook Japanese, Thai, French, Italian, Spanish, and, and many other places too, no, Vietnamese. So, and that I did by experimenting. I, one day I decided to to get into a restaurant and, and ask and started. I was I was working up as an executive, but then on the Saturdays and Sundays I started working on a kitchen to learn how it operated. Not because I wanted to put a restaurant, but I wanted to see the dynamics behind the scene. No, so that's basically an approach I've been using for many other stuff. Then I moved into the innovation space when I was working in the US. I went to Stanford. I studied design thinking. Then I studied a change leadership. So I'm always about experimenting, no? So that's why I push people to experiment because that's what I do in my own uh, personal life as well. That's really cool. I, I uh, used to live right next to Palo Alto. I was in Santa Clara for about three years and went to some uh -huh. of the football games up there at, at uh, Palo yeah. Alto. It's a cool place, yeah. I mean, I've been living in the Midwest, so in, in Chicago, and I love it, but you know, the, the winter here is, <laughs> there's no way to describe it, no, it's, it's, it's a killer. But when I was studying in, in Palo Alto, I spent like a few months there, so it was awesome to be riding my bike, which is another of, of my hobbies all the time. In January, well, here in January, you have to be like inside doors because it's snow, you know, whatever, or it's freezing cold, but yeah. At least you guys have Soul Cycle up there in Chicago. Yeah, but I'm most into outdoor cycling. No, I would like to go for 30, 50, 80 miles like a bike ride. And nice. I like the outdoor. Uh, yeah, enjoy the, the weather and stuff. And so you were at Leo Burnett for a while, right? I mean, you said that you were in marketing, and that's one of the like that's one of the really big firms in America. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, I, and I. And I use that time also to experiment with a lot of clients, you know, like I usually on my career work with clients across the globe, you know, not only in North America, but also in Europe, Latin America. And, uh, and I tested a lot of things that now I'm implementing in my own consultancy with clients. You know? So my, my approach is I test and experiment with myself first, then with other clients and then with <laughs> the rest. <laughs> you know? So kind of a, always prototype. And that's part of the topic, you know, that, uh, that sometimes when we talk about perfectionism, if you go, people are seeing, I mean, when people look at successful people or entrepreneurs or successful organizations, they're just checking the end of the journey, no? Mm -hmm. And basically they get stuck with that image because they say, well, I want to be like Google. I want to be like Facebook. I want to do that or Uber. I want to do that. And, and But those guys didn't get there like in one step. They make a lot of mistakes. Actually, if you go to the web, I don't think they created, but someone else did there's a place that basically uh, that's a Google cemetery and has all the products that either fail from the start or after X months or years, like for example, Google Glasses, the mm -hmm. company decided to kill. So when you go into that page and you browse all the products that Google had and they killed, you realize that even the most successful and large organizations made a lot of mistakes. 
sometimes they fail early on, sometimes along the way, sometimes they see, I mean, no pun intended with Google Glasses, they could see that it was going to be a failure, but some people internally in the company keep pushing and pushing for those. At some point they realize they're going nowhere and boom, they kill the product, no? So I think that's part of the, the dealing with the perfectionist mind. Starting where you are versus comparing yourself to someone who's already been traveling along the journey, but also be willing to kill your darlings, your babies, no? At some point, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, we fall in love with our creations, but at some point we need to say, you know, it's not working and well, let's move to the next stuff, no? You were saying about people cannot start their blog. Maybe because they want, I mean, I, one thing I tell people, I, I, I have a blog for the past five years. Now I have, a, I don't know, over 20,000, 25,000 people that subscribe to it or whatever. Mm-hmm. It took me a lot of time to get there. But I can tell you the first post, the second post, the third post, no one's going to read it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So we, people are so concerned because, well, if I put this work in front of people, they're not going to like it. Well, no one's going to read because they don't know that you exist. They don't know your blog. So you have nothing to lose. You know what I mean? Like, what's, what's, <laughs> just, do <it. laughs> just do it. Like Nike says, just, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Or HubSpot, they have a, a saying in HubSpot, the, the, the marketing suite, a software company, that it's just fucking do it, no? Yeah. <laughs> that's the, the motto to their employees to avoid perfectionism and overthinking. It's just fucking do it, no? I'm with it. I'm with it. So at what point did you leave Leo Burnett in order to open up your own consultancy? I mean, in... I can tell you the, the, the beautified story. I can tell you the more human way. I, 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 when people say, wait, where are you doing what you do? And I say, you know what? When I started working as an employee and I was very successful, I was lucky, you know, for example, when I was 23, I was running a, a department in a marketing services company. So I had like 20 people reporting to me and growing a lot and whatever. Uh, I saw and I suffered all the mistakes that leader made, you know? Mm-hmm. The, my leaders and my clients' leadership too. Then I was able, I became a CEO. I ran like six, seven different companies or divisions in different places I mentioned. And I made a lot of mistakes because that's how you grow. <laughs> so now I'm trying to basically amend both the mistakes that my leaders and myself made <laughs> and make sure that uh, other organizations and our teams don't uh, repeat those. No? So that's kind of uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> what, what, was, what was the biggest mistake you ever made? Uh, well, I don't know. I worked to get many, many. And, and I don't know. Sometimes I feel that uh, I changed jobs or city too fast so we i mean financially my wife is an architect also so we had we bought many houses and sold them after years because we were moving from one place looking backward financially wasn't the best investment even the companies when they relocate you they paid for a lot of stuff but doesn't cover it Mm -hmm. and also the but I think that on the other hand, I'm who I am because of that. If I haven't go through those changes, I wouldn't be where I am, no? Um, I also, from a culture standpoint, which is the, the thing I'm focusing now, right now with my clients, is a, uh, I took over a company and I tried to change things too fast, no? And now I have a saying that actually is an Arab or immediate. I don't know where it comes, if it's Western proverb, that basically Eastern proverb that says that before a, a tearing down a fence, make sure you understand wh- why it was built <laughs> in mm. the first place. 
And, uh, and so I had to balance because I'm always about restaking and changing stuff. And at some point you need to find the balance because I, I got into this company and they started to change certain things. And all of a sudden I had like a revolution and, and one of the, the, the persons I was having a lot of uh, struggle with uh, quit. And then he, he was inspiring or, or, or trying to convince everyone to quit the company and kind of oh, a no. started. Uh, so there was a mistake. On their hand, I learned a lot about a, a, one thing that we coach people, which is psychological safety. So creating a, a, a safe space where people can address conflict and, and speak up. And, uh, and I put everyone together in the company and I address and I recognize that I made a mistake. Uh, and I said, you know what, you hate me, you don't like me, that's okay, I'm not going to... So basically, I cleared the field and the air, uh, being very honest by acknowledging my mistakes, but also putting in words, I know that you think that I'm an asshole, that I'm this, and I'm that, whatever, that's cool, no hurts, but uh, you need to make a decision. So whatever, you might not like my personality or certain approaches, but my intentions for the company and for you as a team are good. So I'm not here to harm you. I'm here to help you grow. And basically someone decided to bring me in because of all the expertise and successes, you know, whatever that means, in my, past, in my previous careers. So if you want to join me, that's cool. But we, I mean, if you don't like being here, the door is open. I can help you find a job, whatever. But if you want to stay, let's talk. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what, but we need to improve together. You know? So Did it-, uh, it was a great work. Did it take you a while to build up to that point where you were okay with having a, having a, a common goals and a purpose and trying to huddle up a team in order to achieve those goals, but realizing that not everybody on the team might like you, but getting people to buy into what you were trying to accomplish? Did that take a while to kind of be okay with? How do you balance that? Well, I think that I've done the things like that in the past before, not necessarily that, but like exposing myself and, and, and also realizing as a leader, people don't need to like you. No, you're not there to make friends, but you're not there to make enemies either. No, So basically you're trying to help people and sometimes styles, a misunderstanding, people that are more defensive, whatever gets in the way. So it, I always teach clients you know, that a resistance it's a signal, no? So usually when people are resisting, even when we're resisting ourselves, no? To your point, I don't like to launch my website. Well, it's a signal that something's happening. Mm-hmm. Of course, there's fear and other emotions involved, but most importantly, it tells something about what you're trying to do. So if you don't get resistance, it's because you're not pushing too hard. If you're running because you're training to play baseball and you don't get tired, well, you're not giving your best, no? You need to go <laughs> an extra mile or two or three. And uh, so uh, I learned earlier in my career that when people are resisting something, you don't need just to fight them. Of course, it's not a natural process. I get upset, I get frustrated, whatever. But at some point, I use that frustration as energy to say, okay, why are people resisting me? So I don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. No? And, and then there might be some good things that I'm trying to push them. No? You, as a coach, you're trying to push people to go beyond their their comfort zone and of course they're going to resist and they're going to make it personal well you shouldn't take it personally <laughs> uh, on their hand it's well what are the things that people don't want to let go so you need to do uh, some empathy understanding and and, and and what you can do when it, when it comes to perfectionism some people are so used to do things one way and they have the reputation because of that and people appreciate them and they are comfortable in their position 
that they don't want to change because they feel that their reputation and appreciation is going to go down. So you need to realize then that, look, we're not here to attack you. We're not here to kill you, but you need to update. And okay, in the meantime, the same way it happened in your career when you had to struggle and learn until you master it, well, now you need to master it again. So be cool with it. Also, don't get stuck. <laughs> <laughs> you talk a lot about change, and I know that that's one of your main topics that um, you write about, that you speak about when you speak with clients in different groups. Can you tell us what are some of the other topics that you typically work with people to get better at? Absolutely. I think that uh, the two key topics that we work on is culture. So we, we help companies design their company or their team subcultures. So both, and they need to work together. And, and the type of cultures that usually, when people come to us, they say, well, I want to become more agile. I want to be more innovative. I want to update uh, and adapt more. I want to future-proof my culture, different uh, avenues. But in the end, they want to modernize you know, their, their culture. <laughs> and that requires people to make decisions faster, smarter, uh, to uh, become more mistake tolerant you know, because they need to start experimenting with different ways of working, with new solutions, new products, changing the way they, they do. And, uh, and that's basically what we do. So basically it's like changing their mindset so they become more uh, uh, open to change. You know? So they stretch for change, they're more uh, fit for change and that, that's innovative. And then the whole culture that involves a purpose, values, a behaviors that are tolerated or not, how they provide feedback, how we build psychological safety and I don't know, meetings, rules and norms, everything that, that is part of the culture design. What makes a great culture? Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> there are many, there are many answers to that. And uh, because First of all, there's no like a formula to design a culture, but most importantly, a strong or successful culture should be unique to the company. So we say that the only a, a, a competitive, everlasting competitive advantage is culture, no? Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be replicated. So when people say, I want to have a culture like Google, you're starting from the wrong point because it, or you, or or anyone, no? like Patagonia or Southwest Airlines. Well, you're trying to copy someone and then you're not going to be like unique. Mm -hmm. So a, a strong culture is the one that attracts and rejects talent. So attracts the right talent and rejects the talent that is not great for your company. So when company says, I want to hire the best talent, well, that's because they don't have a clear culture because there's not such a thing as best talent. Some people might be great for Netflix, but my fail at Zappos. So for example, a Slack, a, the app, uh, you know, the, the, the team communication app a company and, and Netflix, they don't accept jerks. No? So they say no brilliant jerks are accepted. So basically, regardless of how smart those individuals are, if they're jerks, if they're not team players, they're, they're not gonna be hired. And probably if they do by mistake, they're gonna be fired pretty soon. Mm. Uh, then if you take Zappos, Zappos is, is a tribal kind of a cult style of company. And uh, so either you're in or you're out and you need to be uh, weird in your behavior. You need to embrace them. They do a lot of social events and partying and all that stuff. So the company accepts people that are part of that 
uh, thrive. But if you don't want to be, I couldn't be there because I don't like that. The kind of people that are always wearing the the company colors and being called Saponians, you know, it's very like close. Yeah. But for them, it works. So that's why I'm saying that a, a right culture needs to be unique. No. So that people say, I want to work there or I don't want to work there ever. No? So <laughs> <laughs> it should be black and white in those uh, terms. When you work with teams, what are some of the most consistent qualities or not qualities, but um, I guess what are the, what are some of the most consistent traits that you see in teams that you work with that are like really good teams and you say, okay, yeah, this team had this and, and this team had this and, but, but, they really both did this well, and I think this is what makes successful, or I think this is what makes teams successful. Um, I think that one of the key things for a successful team is the strength of the interpersonal relationships. And this is something that people don't value enough. And once again, it's not that they are friends and they go and take a beer or a coffee every week, every Friday together, but it's about they know each other very well because the more you know about people's lives, their issues and everything, you know, like uh, you like Snoopy, you like uh, Bourbon. Okay. <laughs> uh, little details. You have kids, even if you don't go out any, anytime, you know, like uh, with them as friends about your houses, that helps build a lot of trust and empathy. We are critical because uh, if you're going to go, go to war metaphorically or not, you better know the people that you, know, you need to trust people. And it's funny that, for example, in, in Navy SEALs, they, they work a lot in empathy and, and they work a lot in managing fear, but not diminishing fear by being aware of fear, because if you don't react the right way to fear, you can, no? If you're overconfident or you're afraid, too to, to afraid, you can uh, be killed. But also they build strong relationships, interpersonal relationships, because it's, that builds the team. Of course, the idea of having a shared future, what's our purpose, what are we trying to achieve, what's the impact that we want to create is critical to bring those people together. Uh, uh, the other important thing is that people behave collectively. So for example, when they, and we coach these teams a lot, instead of giving feedback uh, individually, they discuss feedback as a team. So for the All Blacks, which is the New Zealand's uh, uh, rugby team, mm -hmm. they are super successful. Across their history, they have won over 75% of their matches against other countries. So that's a huge number. Yeah, th there's a, uh, a show about them on Amazon Prime. They oh, did. I I I'm going to watch it. Thank you for the tip. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like um, the shows that they do with the NFL, except they did a season with, that's how I know that team, their rugby team. Yeah, awesome. And the guys, for example, after each practice and after each match, they record everything. Then each individual goes and watch the videos and then they get together and they discuss collectively how can we improve as a team. So it's not, ah, you need to play better. So it's not the individual. Another thing, it's not only behaviors, but also the rewards <clears throat> need to be collective. So most companies have individual bonuses, no? Mm -hmm. So if you, for example... A, a, you sell 20% more than the other person, you're going to get more money. So what drives is that people compete against each other. So when you have a, a set collective goals for the team and then the team gets rewarded same way, then you're pushing people to uh, act as one and not to compete against each other. Now, that's also a thing that's important. In Microsoft, they used to have a very toxic culture because, for example, their performance reviews 
the performance review system was based on a stack system. And only the people that got into the top uh, 10 or 15 per, uh, percentile were the ones who got promoted and got uh, in salary increases and bonuses or whatever kind of reward. Mm -hmm. So basically people were fighting against each other to perform better than the other uh, team members versus trying to collaborate. And that drove a very a competitive culture that wasn't building teams. The current CEO, when he came on board, he actually dismissed that. And now they're having more regular collective feedback practices, no? for example. So when you work with sales teams, that's a huge way that people are incentivized is sell more than, you know, sell the most in the office, right? So how do you, if you go in and, and there's, a, there's a team that you're working with and it, it, everybody kind of has that I'm in this game for myself mentality. What do you tell them to get them to buy in and work towards that collective goal to kind of elevate each other instead of just I'm going to do me and everybody else is on their own? Well, there are two things. First, you need to work on the mindset, you know, because people need to understand that if they work together, they're going to achieve something bigger. But also, if you as a salesperson achieve your goal, and get your bonus, but then the other nine uh, people miss them, the company is going to bankrupt. <laughs> so there's no good. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, that's, that's not good. On their hand, people have different skills. There are some people that are good at closing sales. There are some people that are good at lead generation. There's other people that are about nurturing uh, those relationships. So when you realize, okay, guys, uh, uh, you can work together and, and share your strengths, then you can achieve something bigger. On their hand, in particular with sales team, you can go into a hybrid approach. Well, part of the bonus is about achieving the collective sales and then individuals have uh, individual goals because salespersons are trained to, you know, like I want to, be, they, they, they're target driven. So they need to have that, you know, they, they want to fight that. So it's finding a balance between a collective goals and individual goals. You've written extensively about mindset and you just brought it up a second ago. What are your, some of your philosophies? Because mindset, I, I started reading Stretch for Change, and a lot of, and you know, the beginning of that is about mindset. And, and I've, or it was an article that I was reading about how important mindset is. So what are, what are um, some of your philosophies on mindset, and why do you think it's so important? Like, what, what makes it the most key component in, in a lot of this stuff that we're talking about? It's important, um, two reasons. First, I mean, uh, mindsets is something that we, people have been using you know, in, in different schools of psychology for many, many years. Lately on, uh, a few years ago, it became a cool word because of the growth mindset, you know? uh, and people started getting into a mindset that is not good, which is either you have a growth mindset or you don't. And, and mindsets are more than that. And it's not black and white and actually something that you can develop. It's not something that you, you know that someone put in your DNA and then you have it and you're screwed for life. You can develop mindset. I like to tell people that a mindset is like a filter you use to see reality. No? And a mindset is basically the thoughts or beliefs that you have about a particular topic and affects your behavior related to that topic. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Uh, I don't think on the mindset, uh, ah, if I have the right mindset, I'm going to be a winner because you no, know, I have a winner mindset and then I'm going no, that's, I mean, that's not how it works. But for example, perfectionism is a mindset, no? You filter everything and then it 
you see reality in a black and white, right or wrong terms. So either you see, you focus on things that are wrong and you keep rehashing your team, this is not working, this is gone corrected, you not know, finding always the, the, the mistakes uh, versus uh, focusing on progress. You no, know? the opposite of perfectionism is focusing on progress in making improvement in learning, no, it's in that system. Mm -hmm. There are other mindsets that are, uh, that affects creativity. For example, you have the no mindset when someone is sharing an idea in front of a team and people say, no, that's not going to work. You're shutting down creativity. But then there's a yes and mindset, which is okay. Yes. And we can also do that. So you keep building on the people, the person's idea versus killing it. Maybe the idea is not perfect, but there's something there that you, you can say yes and and add and then someone else and so on. And that process of iteration takes you to a better uh, idea. No. Mm, yeah. There's the mindset of, oh, this is not the way we do here, uh, things here. So basically, when someone tries to change certain behavior, people react like, no, this is not us, and they kill it, versus what if we try it? No, you never know until you try it. So let's try it, let's experiment and see what happens. So, yeah. Tell me about the two wolves. Uh, well, that's also about integration, no? I mean, that, that's the, 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 there's a saying about there's one wolf that basic cultures, all the negativity and all the, the, the bad things that we have in us, both from a mindset and, and, and emotions and behaviors. And there's the other one captures uh, the, the, the positive side. And usually, once again, because we think in, 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 in black and white terms, no? we want to get rid of one. And we have both. You know? we, are, we have our screw-ups and we have our uh, wins. And that's part of who we are. And the moment we try to dismiss one or the other, uh, we're having a conflict because we're not acknowledging that the, the, our bad sides or black sides or dark sides and our mistakes are also part of who we are. And our bad emotions and maybe the, the, our negative reactions and, and, and behaviors are part of who we are. When we need to integrate, uh, when we can integrate both, then we, we learn to grow because we, we deal with that conflict. We accept it, that we're not perfect and we can move on. And as the legend or the, the, the saying goes, you know, the, 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 there's a battle between these two wolves and the one who wins is the one that you feed the most. You know? So we're, who am who feeding? You know? <laughs> Which wolf are we feeding? Our negativity, our, like, our frustration, you know, our remorse, blaming other people you know, when someone goes bad or saying, okay, what can I do better next time and grow from there? You know? So... I think so much of what we do on a daily basis, it's like input versus output, right? You know, am I spending time doing things that I'm going to actually find fulfillment in or that are going to build me up as a person? Or am I wasting a bunch of time watching shows on on Netflix or reading social media and getting bummed out because social media can be a bummer sometimes and, and stuff like that? And those wolves, I think it comes back to that because it's like I'm feeding this whatever it is right i'm and and here's this wolf and i'm trying to um i'm trying to not get rid of these this thing like i don't have to totally get rid of it because it'll always exist it'll always be there but i just want to make sure that i'm feeding the other part of this more than i'm feeding the bad part yeah absolutely but also I think that the mindset for feeding the, the wolf, you know, whatever color it is, because if we use colors, then people are going to take it. <laughs> you know, that's how <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the negative or the bad wolf or whatever, 
uh, feeding the positive one with the wrong mindset can also harm you because, for example, there's a lot of people writing about self-development and coaching and becoming the best person in your life, all that stuff. But sometimes they come with a mindset that it's all about you only need to ease your... I mean, it's okay if you want to watch three Netflix shows one day and relax because your mind needs to wind down or you're having a bad day and need to you know, recharge. So it's not one or the other. So you shouldn't feel guilty because sometimes you're just doing nothing. No? And actually doing nothing is great for creativity because it actually allows you to, to reflect. I mean, I woke up this morning super tired. I had three uh, meetings. I canceled them all. You know, I told people, sorry, I'm not... And I decided to use that time to just float, you know, to write stuff, to reflect, to, I mean, I didn't do anything productive from that standard, but I know that the, 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 the reflection I had, some things I, I, I wrote and some ideas I started to, 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 to work on are going to take into a great place. But if I wouldn't allow me to, you know what? Yeah, I have commitments, but I can't say no to my obligations. I can clear my agenda. People are going to accept it. I, re I rescheduled those. They weren't urgent topics. And I'm going to give myself a, a plenty of air time to decant my thinking, to recharge and, and, and plan for what's next. So you don't need to be always active either. No? So that's why I'm saying that uh, there's a lot of mis uh, messaging about you need to always be busy and accomplishing and being proactive and whatever. And you're going to burn out. And that doesn't help either. No? So. I feel very honored that you kept our appointment today. So thank you very much for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it was timely. You know, that, that's, the, that's the only thing. <laughs> um, you mentioned burnout. Uh, how, do, how do, you know, burnouts is something that so many people deal with in their job, in their marriage, in whatever it is that they're dealing with. So how can people avoid getting that, getting to that point where they're so burned out they, they just can't even engage anymore? I could tell you, well, you can avoid by doing this. Sometimes you can't. And actually it happened to me and, and, and I'm trying to be very aware of the early signals, you know, so you can start seeing like there are some things that you start like, if it takes you X amount of hours to write an article, then it takes you much more. If usually, I'm usually very fast at getting started into new activities. Well, if I'm like a, <laughs> maybe procrastinating or, 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 or getting distracted or whatever. Well, those are signs that you can see something's going on, that maybe you're tired, maybe you need a break or whatever. But most of the times, you're not going to be able to either identify or listen or cor course correct because you can't or you won't or you don't, doesn't matter. And then you fall into, well, you're burnout. That's the most important thing. More than overcoming is how you react because recovering from burnout is not just take a nap and you're going to be okay. It takes a couple of days or maybe weeks to actually change dramatically your behavior, your uh, exercising, diet, whatever, to re refill all the energy and clear your mind and get back to your usual self, no? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like a, if you're feeling really, really, not you, no? But, already, but you're audience uh, um, basically someone is feeling like oh man i'm really really tired it's a recurring thing that you cannot concentrate and there's something going wrong uh, well pay attention uh, we talk about uh, uh, resistance you know and sometimes teams and people resist doing something not just because they're avoiding it or because they don't want to do it or because they are procrastinating but it's because they are tired you know they're just exhausted uh, leaders are putting more and more tasks on teams uh, you know to do and uh, especially now with the pandemic, people are stressed out. They need to homeschool kids. They need to take care. I mean, they, they need to balance a lot of stuff. 
and everyone's working much more hours than they usually do. Mm -hmm. And working those many hours, it's really hurting people. So at some point when they say, I don't want to take into this innovative project, it's because they're not procrastinating. They are exhausted. So give them some breaks, maybe take some things out of their plate so they can take new stuff. It's about replacing tasks and not just adding. So you mentioned the blog thing, which is a lot of people want to start their blog and they never get started. Well, you need to make time. And either you protect that time or you say, you know what, I'm going to stop going out uh, every day and then I'm going to preserve one of those hours to write. I don't know. Okay? So you need to block time for work as well. More with Gustavo in a minute, but first, I got to tell you about my friends at Four Roses Bourbon. Don't we love Four Roses Bourbon? Yes, we love Four Roses Bourbon. My friends at Four Roses Bourbon would like me to remind you that winning deserves a worthy reward, and you should celebrate life's wins with Four Roses family of award-winning bourbons. Sit back, relax, take a sip, and savor the victory. Learn more at fourrosesbourbon.com. Be mellow. Be responsible, my friends. And now, back to Gustavo. Perfectionism can derail so many good ideas and so many good starts. How do you defeat it? How do you overcome that feeling of, I might suck at this for a little bit? I think that uh, the, the, the best way to start de- dealing with perfectionism is uh, realize that we are not perfect. No? So... Uh, the the myopia that uh, uh, perfectionists suffer from, no, especially in the workplace, I see that a lot, is that people believe that they are much better than the rest of the people. No, they, they don't get to acknowledge their own mistakes. Mm-hmm. They are not they are not uh, self aware. So research by Tasha Urich shows that uh, most people, like over 80 percent of people, believe that they are ninety. In some cases, believe that they are self aware, but only fifteen are. That means that in the first assignment, start doing some kind of self-awareness, get feedback from other people. There's an exercise that we do that we ask people to write five words that define you and then ask colleagues, family members, friends to do the same. And you're going to start seeing that people are going to tell things about you that you are not aware. So that's the first way to get you started, to see the gap Mm. between what you see about yourself and what others see. And, uh, and, and, and I think that also writing your mistakes, start by writing every day what are your mistakes, uh, start sharing mistakes either in social media, with a friend, uh, when someone tells, oh, that's wrong, say, okay, yes, I made a mistake, own it. I mean, and, and you're going to get used to it and you're going to realize that no one gets uh, hurt. On the contrary, when you acknowledge your mistakes and you share them publicly, you can start learning from those and move forward. No? So it's the first time to defeat perfectionism. Acknowledge you're not perfect. I like that exercise because I, I bet there's a lot of people that are listening, that will be listening to this, that uh, if they were to write down five things that they identified with, you know, and then had their friends and family write down five things, a lot of people would probably not maybe want to see or know, you know what those other lists say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Let's talk about momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that you've written about. I've, I, I have, uh, I've 
talk to anybody that has listened to me over the last couple of years about momentum. And I've used this phrase because at, like as it pertains to daily tasks of just, you know, somebody says, I'm, I'm just in a rut or I'm not achieving my goals. And, you know, it's like, okay, just get a little bit of momentum. And you call this minimum viable changes or MVCs. So let's dive into that. What are MVCs and what, why are they important? Um, I always tell companies that, uh, or people, no, when you try to change, imagine one day you wake up and say, you know what, these are my new goals, this is my new me, I'm going to change everything. And then people fail because when you try to change everything, you end changing nothing. So the approach of the minimum viable uh, changes is start with small doses, start changing little things, you know what I mean? So if you uh, usually uh, wake up late, well, you cannot say, well, instead of waking up at 11, you're going to wake at 6 because that's not going to happen. So maybe start by waking up 15 minutes earlier, half an hour, little by little, until you start changing that behavior or start by setting up an alarm every day, you know, for starters that maybe you don't. <laughs> uh, so uh, I mentioned I like biking a lot. And, and, uh, and I, when I moved here to Lino, I started biking more frequently as a way not only to keep active, but also to fight the winter, you know, because if not, you spend a lot of time inside. And I say, any, and so uh, I didn't start biking in winter time because I wouldn't, you know, because it's cold, it's uh, depressing, it's dark, uh, and it's risky because of the ice and so on and so forth. So I started building a practice of, okay, I'm going to start biking once a week, and then I move it to twice a week, and then three times a week. And then I decided to uh, increase the mileage per ride and so on and so forth until I was basically improving my habit. With writing happened exactly the same. The, my first goal was to write an article per month. Maybe for some people that sound, ah, it's easy. For me, people feel, oh, that's a lot. Well, at some point I was writing four articles a week. So I kept changing from once a month to once a week, then twice a week, then three a week. and. Uh, <laughs> Now I'm into one or twice a week for many other reasons because I have other stuff and I need to balance, you know, but, but, uh, but it's finding the cadence. So if you set up goals that are too ambitious, you're going to fail, you know. There's an interesting anecdote that the British cycling team basically uh, was a failure, you know, for over 50 years, they haven't won any medal, any type of medal, not even a cork one or a card one. <laughs> On the, on the discipline, and they haven't ever won the, the Tour de France, that, which is like an annual uh, tour uh, competition that is done, of course, in France, that everyone participates from around the world, and it's kind of the, the most important cycling event ever. Mm -hmm. People, it's uh, very prestigious. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and what happened is they hired a new coach. So, and the challenge that he had was, well, do I change everything? I, I fire all the... the the, the, the team and the trainers and I, 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 I do a new contract with a new brand and, and, and bring new bicycles and change everything or start small. And of course, the guy decided to start small and people thought he was crazy, right? Uh, because uh, usually we think that when things are scrubbed, we need to change everything dramatically. But he focused on the 1% improvement, but across the board. So he said, you know what? the seats of the bikes. How can we improve their design to make sure that we improve performance by 1%? Then the diet. He didn't change dramatically how people eat. He just focused on 1%. The way we train, 
the way we sleep. So he analyzed with his team how people were sleeping and 1% improvement. The way we transport the bikes because they, they accumulate dust and that affects the, the train wreck and affects everything, the, the, you know, that, that, how it works. Okay, we're going to change that as well. So he keep like making 1% improvements in different areas. People were like, oh man, this is going to go nowhere. At some point, he won three out of four medals, three, three Olympics in a row. And he was not only the first time to, to won at the Tour de France, but actually they did it like three out of four consecutive times. Wow. So basically, it's a small, it's, I use the word cadence because in, in, when you're cycling, cadence is the rhythm that you play, you know, how many RPMs are you, are you doing you know, to keep that? that cadence and and if you have the right cadence it, it, you build a speed but also it helps you go faster no? you get less exhausted if you're cycling fast and then slow so you have to find that cadence and at some point it's going to give you speed and so if you want to go fast you need to start slow that's the the the, the, the point now about building momentum the momentum is the accumulation of small acts in a, in a frequency, in a, in a system that over time it gives you a lot of, and, and also confidence, you know, from a, a, if you're writing, let's say, start writing one word every day or 10 words before you go to bed. You know, at some point, those 10 words are going to turn into 20 and then 30 or whatever. And, and over time, you're going to build that. Uh, Ernest Hemingway, uh, when he was living, the American writer, when he was living in Cuba, he had, I mean, the guy was a party guy. He used to go out at night and, and, and do whatever, you know, and, and go to bed late at night. But he had a, a motto that he never got to bed without writing first. And he had, he was pretty obsessive in his approach. And he was tracking all the words, the amount of words that he wrote every day and wrote those on a, on a wall to keep track every day of how many words he written. So if he woke up, great and he could write in the day perfect but if he wasn't in the mood even after getting back home at night drunk whatever he wouldn't go to bed without writing and that's momentum you know that that builds the momentum of a writer because he's writing all the time and that's you can parlay that into anything because if it's writing starting a diet um you know, making sales calls, that momentum that you build up over time, you look back and after a few weeks, you're like, okay, this, look, I, I can do this. This is easy. I just put a couple of good weeks together and now I'm looking ahead and, and I'm going to keep this thing rolling. And I, I so I, I think per momentum is one of the most important things we can develop as, as human beings, really. Absolutely. And then there's also the, the idea of uh, time constraints no, uh, people hate them. But for example, when we are uh, working with teams, when it comes to creativity, you need to solve a problem. Uh, we give people very uh, few time. No, so you have five minutes. You have ten minutes. Usually, people would spend two days or so a week trying to solve a problem. The issue is when you give people a week, no one works on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you have a constraint that you have to finish something in five minutes, people have the pressure that they need to deliver. So they they basically come up with more ideas than when they have much more time because of the pressure. You know what I mean? Uh, there's an interest, interesting uh, anecdote uh, about Saturday Night Live that uh, Tina Fey wrote this in, in her book, where Lorne Michaels, uh, who was the producer of uh, SNL, basically when Tina Fey started as a writer, she was suffering from perfectionism. It's a paradox, no? A, a writer that writes jokes and humor 
is afraid of <laughs> writing jokes. <laughs> Because of course she wants the jokes to look perfect. Because you can you no know, once it's put in front of the audience, if people don't laugh, you're screwed for life. You no, know? people are going to think you you don't know what you're talking about. You might lose your job. You might lose your reputation. That's basically the fear. Sure. And the producer told her, you know what, the show doesn't go on because it's ready. It goes on because it's eleven thirty. So basically, the point for procrastinator is you need to put a limit. You no. Know? If you say, you know what, at Sunday, 3 p.m., I'm going to publish my newsletter or I'm going to send my post or whatever, it forces you to do it. So what she was saying, I don't care how great your joke is, the show is life. It has to go on. No, we have a commitment. So setting those uh, time limits that could be artificial, it doesn't have to be because you go on air, no, like your show, but it can be that people say, you know what? Put, set a time limit. You no, know, I, I say, you know, uh, every every uh, Thursday or Friday at whatever time, I'm going to send my newsletter. So I need to have my newsletter ready and I need to have my articles because my articles are part, an important part of my weekly newsletter. So I better write something before that. You know? I dealt with that a lot because I used to do an afternoon show on the radio and it was only sports. And I've, I've since transitioned to this podcast because sports went away in March, right? And so I kind of had to pivot. <laughs> but... I would spend all day putting together an hour or two hours of content, depending on how long the show was going to be. And it was almost it was almost like a reprieve when I would hit the 4 p.m. And, and the red light would go on. And it was like, finally, I can stop overanalyzing every sentence of this and stop mapping it out. And I just, there's the red light. Now I'm, now I'm on. Now I got to go. And but but there would be so many days where I would spend just an anxious wreck, just thinking, is this good? Is this going to be funny? Are the people going to like this? Do I sound smart? How do you know? And then finally get to it and just be like, okay, that wasn't that bad. But I would do that over and over and over again to the point where uh, sometimes it would keep me from you know I, I there were a few few times more more times than I'd like to admit where I called my boss and I was like I I just I can't go on today I I just can't do it today. But you and know, what did you do? Did you went on? Or, or I, I, a couple of times I did not. No, I just I stayed home and I said run the replay of the the morning show from this morning and I just tried to not beat myself up about that, but get in the next day and just say, all right, we're we're gonna have we're gonna have, yesterday was yesterday, but today we're gonna have a great show. I get it. And I think that that's a good point. And, and it's good to admit at some point you cannot do it. And it's it's not quitting. You know what I mean? I mean, you, we're human. And I think it's better to do that than try to pretend that you're not having one of those days that we all have. You no, know, one of those days that you say, you know what, I'm, I cannot do it. But then the next day, you shouldn't get caught on the, oh, I failed. I'm a, I'm a failure or whatever, because that's part of the, the perfectionism mindset, you no, know, putting us uh, like we, we, we attach labels. I'm a failure. I'm a stupid. I cannot do it. And say, well, no, it, everyone goes through that process. You no, know, as I meant, Hemingway had a system because he was a great writer, but he also was human. You no, know? so everyone that we see that are perfect goes through those ups and downs, and we need to be okay with that. So good for you. <laughs> and Hemingway was a big bourbon guy too, so I'm sure he he probably enjoyed some Four Roses from time to time. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> more than that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that were the most productive days, so the least or whatever. But in the end, <laughs> they, it kept him it kept him going. No, so yeah. <laughs> 
well, we all need to find our uh, inspiration and fuel. Right, <laughs> right. Shapes and, and flavors, I guess. <laughs> right. That's the creative process. So is, let me, um, let's, let's talk about that. How, what does your creative process look like when you need to sit down and you need to, um, when you talked about getting into the flow, like how do you tap into that and, and what does your creative process look like? Um, there are like, I mean, out of, I don't have this well structure, but let me just try to think out loud. I have like three approaches, no? Mm -hmm. The more inspirational eureka moment that are the few that once you are like, and say, oh, wow, you have an idea. And then you sit in front of the computer and boom, you, you crash it. Usually uh, I have a lot of ideas and that's one of the problems for me because when you're thinking, oh, I want to write about this and this, then I need to focus on, I need to land on which one I, I want to uh, uh, focus. And sometimes it can harm because when you start on one, you say, well, but the idea on the other one was better and then you, you can get stuck. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I mean, the, the shower metaphor for me, it's real. When I'm taking a shower in the morning, boom, no, I, 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 lots of ideas come to mind. When I'm going out biking for a couple of hours, I clear my mind because I'm doing nothing, uh, you know, because it's almost intuitive writing, although you have to be aware of people don't killing you on the road, but that's a different story. And so sometimes I'm writing to myself. I'm not typing, but I'm writing the story on my head. So then I sit on the computer and I really have like a first draft, you know, but still a gap between having it on your head and then writing it. And the third path when I'm really, really stuck, I basically uh, go into try to find a structure. You no, know, okay, what are the key ideas that I want to communicate? Or I maybe uh, cheat, which is again an, an article that I wrote I don't know, years ago, and I uh, use it as inspiration and rewrite it. And sometimes that finishes into something completely different. You no, know? but I started from something. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So yeah. Uh, or I go and say, well, in the past months, which were the articles that people love the most? And I try to connect with that and, 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 and then boom, you, you come up with something. So, What are some exercises to improve self-control? Uh, in what sense? To, like, for example. Um, well, I guess, I, you know, one of the things that I was reading about in one of your articles was moral licensing and accountability and kind of holding yourself accountable. And sometimes if you're addicted to sugar, you might go to Walgreens and buy $15 worth of candy. Not that I've ever done that before, but, you know, it, no, it, it's, no, it's something no that, no, no, not me. Who does that? Who, me? <laughs> but accountability is everything. Accountability is everything, not just with ourselves, but we hold others accountable. We hold our teams accountable. We hold our relationships accountable. What are some exercises or ways to build accountability or self-control if that's something that we struggle with? I mean, one, it's all about finding techniques, you know? So I think that it's, I always tell people there are different ways to do things, try different and see which one resonates with you, you know? Because that world, I mean, as I mentioned, some people are goal-driven. Uh, I used to be, I'm a little, but used to be very competitive. So for me, like telling, okay, today I'm going to do 30 miles and tomorrow I'm going to do more. It helped me, you know, because I, I, I was somehow addicted to, to challenging myself, you no? Know? So, and setting goals works for some people, for others doesn't. There are some other ways to cheat ourselves, you no? Know? That, for example, if you want to stretch your performance in any field, like, for example, 
I'm going to write 30 miles, no? So what I do is I need to write 15 and then another 15 back home. But when I'm getting to the 15, I say, you know what? I'm going to write another one. It's because you're still full of energy. So you add one or two more, mm-hmm. but two more turn into four more because you have to drive back. So that small cheat, I mean, it's a cheat or you are trying to deceive yourself you want, helps stretch that goal. It, then there are little acts, as you say, if you don't have sugar on your house, then chances are you're not going to have uh, no stuff. So uh, one, I like, I mean, like anyone to have a drink at night, whatever, especially during the weekends. And at some point with our wife, we were having a, we decided to, to do a, a diet together to lose some weight after the huge winter here in Chicago, that you <laughs> more, you are not doing as much exercise. Sure. And so we decided to also uh, not to take any alcohol for a month. And we did it first because we work together. So sometimes finding a partner is critical, no? When you have two persons that are working on the same goal together, because then you're mutually, not only that their person is going to call you out, but you feel that you break the, the partnership or the agreement, then you're also not being honest to that person. No? If that person is close to you, then... So that, that's really emotional in that sense to have that partnership. Uh, but also, uh, we, we work on small tricks. There are some research and some people question it, but for example, if you use smaller plates, you're going to eat less than you have a huge plate. If you serve the food on the kitchen versus bringing the full stuff and then you can repeat, you're going to have more. If you pour a glass of wine and keep the bottle somewhere else, chances are that you're not going to pour another glass. But if you have the bottle of bourbon there, you're going to fool one and over. <laughs> so there are tricks also that, that if you don't have sugar in your house, eh, unless you're super addict, you're, having a, eh, you're not going to get into your car and drive three miles to get it, no? probably, but the chances are lower. So there are lots of things about designing that stuff as well to, to, to change that. Another rule that I, that, I, that I use is accountability. It's basically the opposite of blaming, no? And we live in a society that nowadays, unfortunately, blame has become a currency, no? That people, uh, the economy is bad, blaming into the president, this party or the other party, no? Uh, the coronavirus, well, it's uh, China, it's Hong Kong, it's the president, it's the whatever, it's the people that wear masks. The people, there's always, we're always trying to find someone to blame for something that's gone wrong, no? Mm-hmm. And that's not good, no? And especially when both sides are blaming each other, they say, okay, guys, <laughs> that, this is not working. <laughs> so I have a rule that started when I got married many years ago, and then I applied to something, some other items and also a coach teams, which is when there's an issue, you know, something went wrong, use the 50-50% rule. So 50% is your responsibility and 50% is the other part. So if you're having an issue at a team level, well, what's your 50% that you need to correct? And what's the 50 that the team needs to adjust? So then you start from owning your part, no? Because people say, no, you're always 100% accountable. Well, first that feels like a lot of a burden, but sometimes there's a shared, no? Because there's someone, someone else did that hurts you, mm-hmm. no? Mm-hmm. Like you, you want to eat sugar and then your friend comes with lots of sugar to your house. Well, man, you're not helping. <laughs> But if you say, ah, I'm eating sugar because you brought sugar, then you're, no, you have, you own your decision, right? Sure. 50-50, it's a, it's a nice trick that works a lot because then it helps you reflect on, okay, what do I need to own? 
and also there's a room for you to ask people uh, would you mind not bringing more sugar next time would you mind and that collection of both things helps a take accountability huh? I want to ask you about sticky habits, something that you've, uh, like a, a phrase that you've coined. And, um, you know, tell me about sticky habits and how you build them. I don't know if I coined that. I, I, I mean, I use it, but I, I don't think no one coins anything because, it, I mean, like, a, a, everything's like a already used. No, I mean, there's nothing that is completely original in this world <laughs> anymore. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the point is, um, how can I tell? I, I think the sticky habits is once again small things that over practice they become. I mean, you adopt them, and at some point you start using them. And, and, and I mean, it's like uh, brushing your teeth. You no, know? at some point someone taught you to brush your teeth x times a day and how to do it, and now you're not thinking about it, and you incorporate that small habit into your uh, practice. No, so the same way of uh, waking up maybe uh, a little bit. I'm not an early riser, but I wake up at seven, whatever. I know if it's early or not. Some people say you need to wake up at five. I don't buy into that I'm, I'm a, because I like to stay late at night uh, dining and then writing or whatever. I, I mean, I'm more of a night person. Mm -hmm. Little owl. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's about how do you build little things that then over time helps you. I have. Even though I use a lot of softwares and whatever for work, I have here my whiteboard and I have a lot of post-its and I have a, and I use color coding like three levels into things that are quick tasks to perform, tasks that require a little bit more of a time and, and thought and times that are basically require a lot of deep thinking. And so with that, I know what I have to do. You know, I have it here, like, you know, in the restaurants that they put the orders and then the, the cook takes each order and cooks them in order. So mm. for me, this helps me organize my day, but also I focus in what's the right uh, mindset. So I'm in a creative mood. Do I have time to focus and cancel any distraction and do like uh, deep work and, and write or uh, no? For example, when I feel that I am procrastinating because I need to get back into a, a, a recovery momentum, I start with this small task. So I have to send an email to a client. I need to send this. I need to answer that stuff. I need to reply. So small little tasks that are sticky because I did one after the other and then I, I'm, I'm already feeling productive. Then I can go into more challenging tasks. So depending on the day, I decide how I deal with those. We know about brutal honesty, but tell us about radical candor. A radical candor is a term and an approach uh, that Kim Scott, a former Google employee, developed. And uh, basically, uh, it's all being completely and extremely honest with people when you're giving feedback. But there's a balance that is, I. I'm being honest, but also I care about the person. So sometimes people confuse candor and being honest with just saying whatever comes to mind. And many times you hurt people. And if you hurt people, what's the point of feedback? You no, know, people are going to reject it. No. Mm -hmm. So I think that a radical candor is finding that balance between being brutally honest, but also caring, being respectful, being caring. So you need to build that relationship. Another thing that's important about feedback no, for practicing radical candor or any type of feedback is that unsolicited feedback doesn't work. So if you 
see someone doing something, I tell, oh, you should be doing this. And the person didn't give you the permission for you to provide feedback. It's not going to work. People are going to get defensive. They're going to resist it. And if you do or practice radical candor in an unsolicited, unsolicited fashion, it's going to explode. So um, the point is uh, you need to set the culture to practice that. If it's between two people or within a, a group setting, you need to start setting that psychological safety and trust so people are okay doing that. Don't start little by little. So, yeah. How do you frame... Is there a way to frame unsolicited advice to people? Uh, well, first is try to shut your mouth. We always are believe that we know better and, and the best way for people to learn is by experience, no? first. Second, there's a practice like many companies are starting to adopt and we push that a lot with clients. Like for example, in the case of Patagonia, they coach managers to ask for feedback versus provide feedback. You know, the typical management school is that people, because they are in a more senior position, they believe that they know better and they're trained to give feedback. So they're always in the mentality to my role as a, as a leader or as a boss is to correct my team. No, that's the perfectionist mindset. I'm going to correct my team and make them better because they don't know better like me. I'm great. Well, <laughs> in Patagon, it works all the way around. Instead of giving feedback, managers go out and say, hey, how can you help me? No, what can I do better? How can I improve? No, hey, Ben, look, in the past meetings, do you think that I could have done something better? So they ask for feedback. So it creates a culture that people say, well, my boss is open to feedback. So people start to open up a little bit. If my boss and my boss's boss are asking for feedback, well, maybe I'm going to start asking for feedback too. So that opens the door for people to giving you feedback as well. Got it. What are some of the qualities of a great leader? Uh, not being called a leader. <laughs> uh, no, really. I mean, it's a joke and it's not. Uh, I hate a lot. I mean, I struggle a lot with the word leader because leader refers to a person. In today's organizations, being politically, religious, uh, business, nonprofits, we need collective leadership. Everyone needs to lead. So leadership is more of a role and a mindset than a title. And when we call you're a leader, you're not, immediately we're shutting down people who can lead. And leading doesn't mean running the whole company. They can lead a project. They can lead uh, other things. You know what I mean? But I think that organizations need to inspire everyone to lead. I mean, I always use the analogy of the, if you observe the ducks or, or birds flying in this B-shaped form, no? Uh, usually when I ask people, where do you do that? No? Uh, and they say, well, because the leader goes at the front and they have to resist uh, the, I mean, they have to fight the resistance that air uh, creates to make it easier for the rest to fly. I say, well, but you know that from time to time, people take turns, right? I say, yeah, why is that? And people say, well, the research says that the leader or whoever is leading gets uh, tired. So they take turns to to relax and let the one who goes at the front uh, uh, take the heat. But recent research from Australians, I mean, using GPS, uh, recent, a couple of years ago, has shown that actually they do this because they want to train every bird in the flock to lead because the leader might die, it might get lost, it can hit an airplane and whatever, no? and, and get hurt. So birds, which are smarter than us, they understand that leadership is about everyone playing that role. So that training birds, even if they're young, to lead at some point from an early stage. 
And that's why we encourage companies. Everyone should lead. Everyone should be, I mean, if you're facing an issue with a client, you don't need to call your manager. You need to be uh, with the right uh, conditions and knowledge or whatever to fix it and solve it without, hey, I'm going to call my manager. In Zappos, if you call and you can do that, go and call their call center and have a conversation, have a discussion, and the guy who, who's basically talking to you, they're going to be able to fix it. They're not going to call their manager. That's not their practice. The mm -hmm. person is completely uh, trained, but also has the, the authority and, 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 and freedom to make any call. In most companies, you say, oh, I'm going to call my manager. And the manager, and you stay like 15, 10, 20 minutes in the line and no one fixes the problem. Right. Because the so-called leader is hidden somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I like to talk about leading as a verb because many so-called leaders actually don't lead. You know? So leading is, a, is the act of making decisions, inspiring people, training people, uh, giving people authority, and so on and so forth. Are you okay on time? I have a couple of more questions and then we'll wrap up. Uh, sure, I should. Okay, yeah. thank you, thank you, thank no you. Um, what are some of your favorite quotes that have shaped you? Things that you hold dear to yourself? Oof. I don't know. I mean, I have many. I'm not stuck into quotes, but I should have to think about it. I mean, uh, that... I put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm putting me on the spot. I don't live by quotes. I include a lot of quotes when I'm writing sometimes, but mm -hmm. I don't have them. I mean, um, I don't know. At this moment, that no no quote comes to mind. I mean, I, <laughs> okay. I have many. Um, what is the biggest lie that we tell ourselves? Uh, I think that thinking that we are better than others, thinking that we don't need others. No, as the saying says. I mean, that's a quote or a phrase. If you want to know, there we go. If you want to go uh, fast, go alone, no travel alone. If you want to go far, travel together, no? And I think I switch between both. You know, sometimes I go, uh, go to go fast, and, but I know that if I'm going to go far, in many aspects in life, you need your spouse, you need your friends, you need your colleagues, you need others, no? So, yeah. Who were some of you? with one stone now. <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> Comes full circle. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, who are who are some of your heroes and mentors? People that you look up to? I, to be honest, I never had heroes. I never see people as. I mean, I don't want to be anyone mentor or hero. And, one, and you know what I mean? I think that once again talking, and that's a different topic, no? But I, but I I'm I'm all against the heroic approach to to leadership. No, the boss that's going to save the day. No one, not even Steve Jobs, basically created those empires on their own. There are many people that basically designed the code, designed the phone, designed, did a lot of stuff, but we like to, to basically see one person as the, you know? It happens, the president is going to, no, the president is just one man. There's the Congress, the police, the society, there's a lot of people moving things. Uh, the same happens at a corporate level. The CEOs are not superheroes. So I don't tend to see others as superheroes. I tend to learn from anyone. Uh, today I was having a, a small like um, uh, exchange, <laughs> not so uh, soft on, on social media, which usually I avoid, no? but because someone was saying basically like, uh, I, I disagree with what you say about an article I post and basically also saying, uh, oh, everyone's talking about this topic. I want to pretend they're experts. No? So basically, I didn't take personally, but I felt the guy didn't explain why 
he didn't agree, which is the point for me to learn. I like to listen to people who, dis who disagree, but if they give a reason so I can, oh, challenge my thinking, so mm -hmm. I can adjust my thinking. But also people that their immediate reaction is to try to attack people's credibility, reputation, or expertise without a fact just to show that they are no better. No, no. And also I say, well, I didn't, because I didn't want to make it personal, I say, well, you're not only attacking me, you're attacking the person who shared because it was someone who shared. I would say, oh, this article is good. So basically, without knowing the guys, because you don't agree with one thing, I usually many people, for example, in my case, I, I laugh because they react to the post on LinkedIn without link without reading the article mm -hmm. that basically is what's posted. And then let's have a debate. You know, I spend three, four, five hours researching, writing an article. So if you want to provide feedback, at least take the time to read it and, <laughs> and your homework. You know? I see. I see so many people in the. Uh, I I, ch I try to stay out of them, but I, you know I'm a sucker for them. Is in the comment section of one of the local, um, like media, you know, television stations here. There will be links to articles, and there'll be people who are arguing. You know, just big long paragraphs with people going back and forth, and it's it, it, they 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 didn't read. They didn't even read the article, but yet they have these big takes on what's you know what what they think the article is about and they, they they haven't even spent the time to, to to read it and find out it's exactly yeah uh, and that everyone has an opinion doesn't mean that you should be sharing all your opinions no because i think that we need more than opinions we need ideas and ideas is the combination of opinions with some facts and some due diligence no so that's also the <laughs> it's good i like that okay two more one's Kind of goofy, and then one will will end on uh, a more kind of serious, consistent uh, question as as the the previous questions have been. But I ask everybody that comes on in a fight between a Bengal tiger and a ram, who would win? I mean, you never know. I think the one who for sure could win is the one who decides to get out of the fight and run before and say, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> so so no. <laughs> no fight, no fight then. Well, I mean, the, if you want to stay alive and win, the most uh, effective way is to avoid that fight. No? And you were talking about social media sometimes. I mean, no one wins those discussions. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the, the, <laughs> there's no winners. Just uh, so something is, okay, cool. I appreciate Cool. Good for you. And uh, <laughs> our, our group of friends have, has been debating this for forever. And, uh, and somebody... give me some answers. I like to learn. <laughs> yeah, well... Well, there's there's half of us that think that the Bengal tiger would win just because of the agility of a cat and it's bigger. But then there are a, a, another group of us that think that the ram, you know, it's it's got like the horns that are made Holes, of like a titanium-like yeah. substance. And if, if it gets one shot, you know, one shot, just like in football, when you get knocked out unconscious on that concussion hit, that's that's all it takes. A boxer, one one good one of the the chin will take him out. So it's it just depends on who your money's going on that day, I guess. Yeah, but once again, it's who acts first, no? So it could be making a decision to avoid the fight or making the one who makes the hit because you have to upon one chance. No, so if you make it wrong, and that's why procrastination and perfectionism doesn't work because you overthink and the other one's gonna hit first. Boom! <laughs> <Or> yeah, run away. <laughs> Hey, like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Yes, All right. Off of the goofy stuff. Final question, okay? Um, growth and comfort cannot coexist because what? 
because uh, there's suffering growing, no? I mean, remember when you were a teenager, uh, the body hurts when it was growing so fast. The same happens to the mind and we need to challenge our thinking. Every time I'm starting like a workshop session with people, no? like a open sessions or, or within a client, I always use a Japanese talking about quotes or phrases. You want a Japanese saying, saying that, that that goes, in order to fill a cup, you have to empty it first. No, so if we don't let go of what we're good at, of our knowledge, our ideas, etc., we're never going to make room for new thinking. You know, when people say like the example of saying, "I don't agree," when you say you don't agree, you're immediately shutting off the possibility of. A yes and okay i think this but also some of the things you can add to my idea so in order for us to grow we have first empty no and that uh, it takes some kind of a pain because i mean it, when you become the expert of something it's good to be recognized as the expert of something i was working with a company a german organization that for example they use titles and they use first and last name to for example the ceo people say the ceo john whatever and uh, the doctor, uh, Jane Lewis, you know, that's the way. I say, guys, you need to start getting rid of those stuff because if you want to become innovative, the first thing is start showing up as humans, no? Mm -hmm. And for some people, that was like, a, if you were like killing their sons or daughters, you know, it was like, no, you're going to remove my doctor from my business card or my uh, email signature. Why? Like, say, because, I mean, yeah, you're the doctor. Thank you. We appreciate all your learnings and that's great and that's a personal accomplishment, but that's a, that's a something a stage it's not your final end you need to continue growing but also you don't want to show that you are more important than others no because maybe there are doctors that are not using the doctor in their signature or maybe they have other expertise and those are equally uh, uh, valuable to the company so eliminating hierarchies and that hurts for some people because uh, i'm attached to that structure no so there's no growth without <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. This has been so awesome. You've been so gracious with your time. And a lot of what we've talked about today uh, are, are things that really I'm passionate about. And I'm, I'm passionate about it when, when I can speak to other people about it, whether it's somebody that's an expert like yourself or somebody that comes to me for, for solicited advice where they're saying, hey, I got this kind of problem and, you know, I'm dealing with this. And um, I, I, I seriously can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for your time this has been great no no problem the pressure is all mine and that's the same goes it takes to do tango great conversations require two people to make it happen so i think it was a great team effort and i appreciate awesome and i really enjoyed so good luck and 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 thank you for everyone for listening All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Uh, please give Gustavo a follow on Twitter if you enjoyed his philosophies and, and some of the things that we talked about. You can find them on Twitter at Gus Rossetti. Um, and, and please check out his work on liberationist.org. Again, reminder, next week I've got two podcasts coming out. I'm going to do Uber Stories on Tuesday, uh, plus some takes on what's going on in college football. And then... Thursday, Matt Plummer, the CEO of Zarvana, is going to join the show, and we'll do another interview, okay? Uh, and please go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I am on social media at BennyTomp18. Uh, you can follow along on the Facebook page at RealTalkWBennyT. 
We're on Apple Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, all of it, all of it, all of it, okay? But but please, and, and if these things help, reach out because I would love to hear that, okay? So I hope you'll join us again. Until next time, be well, my friends. I am Ben Tompkins. That is Real Talk.